With it being Remembrance Sunday, let us break into our series in the Gospel of Mark. And I'd like us to consider a, ver- a verse which is found uh, on most war memorials in our country. And it is John chapter 15, verse 13. This is the most appropriate Bible passage to consider on Remembrance Sunday. Very well-known words. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Greater love. Uh, This verse, uh, when you find it on war memorials, is used to uh, describe uh, the sacrifice of uh, many of our young men in uh, uh, fields of battle uh, for the sake of their countries so that we can enjoy our freedom. But the actual context of this verse is quite different. It's spoken by Jesus Christ, and he's speaking it in a sermon that he's giving uh, in the upper room. Uh, And this is, I think, after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, his uh, most well-known sermon. And he's not uh, describing here a sentiment. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. This isn't just a beautiful thought that he's giving to his disciples uh, in, uh, am I right, 24 hours? He's going to be demonstrating the truth of these words by laying down his own life for us. Uh, This was on the eve of the crucifixion. This was the evening before Good Friday. And I want to use this Sunday when, quite rightly, we are remembering uh, the sacrifice of so many people in different wars uh, to give us our liberty, I want us to remember this greater sacrifice. That's all I want us to do this morning. And I just want to ask and answer the question, if it is possible to answer, how come the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is greater than... Uh, the sacrifices we are remembering on Remembrance Sunday. I'm not belittling the sacrifices of war. Now, let me give you a number of reasons. The first is this. The Lord Jesus didn't have to die. Now, how can I explain this? The young men that died, many of them were still teenagers in the First World War. What a terrible waste of life that was. Even though they they lost most of uh, their life, eventually, even if they wouldn't have died in that First World War, they they would have had to leave this world behind. Uh, What I'm trying to say in a very clumsy way is every one of us is one day going to have to die, whether it's in a war or whether it's as an old person 
we are all appointed once to die and after that the judgment we have to stand before God but this is what makes Jesus's death I think more amazing he is the only human being that did not have to die now why am I saying that why is there death in this world you know God when he created this universe he created it all good and perfect death wasn't part of God's plan death came in later uh, God made paradise he put our first parents Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden everything was bliss there was no death what caused death to enter paradise well we know the accounts don't we our first parents disobeyed God and their turning away from their creator caused the fall and as a result of the fall this spiritual uh, disease which we call sin this disharmony in the creation comes in and a result of that is death death our first parents died they were thrown out of paradise they died and everyone since we're all uh, from Adam and Eve everyone has died and you know what you will one day have to die unless Jesus Christ comes back first you and I will one day be in a coffin I always find it hard uh, when I'm taking a funeral uh, to have the funeral directors bow to the coffin I always find that hard because there's nothing there's no person in the coffin there's only a body in the coffin the person the soul the spirit parts which lives forever that has gone to eternity now that's where we're all headed but Jesus Christ was perfect a perfect baby born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem a perfect boy growing up in Nazareth a perfect man starting a three-year ministry which we've been considering in Mark's gospel no sin why because he's the son of God the son of man he's 100% divine 100% human no death and yet he died do you know why he died for you and for me um Spurgeon one of my favorite preachers 19th century London preacher he wrote a book on preaching and one of my favorite chapters in that book is a chapter on books he tells a young pastor what books to get And he says one of the best books you can get and you don't have to pay for this book is the book of a person's deathbed imagine saying that today <laughs> uh, i'm going to have to say to howell george who's training with us you make sure howell that you visit if possible a believer when they're dying because you can learn more lessons from a Christian's deathbed than from reading many, many written books. When I started in the ministry, 
uh, up in North Wales. I can remember, I think this was the second deathbed I visited. It was an elderly gentleman, and he had been a believer for many, many years. And I entered the room, and I'll never forget it. He was ready to go. He'd had a massive heart attack, and he was waiting for the chariot to take him to heaven. And let me tell you, he was greatly disappointed that he recovered. <laughs> he really thought he was going home to heaven. And he lived on for a few more years. Oh, my friends, this is Christianity. Don't you want a religion that enables you to die with hope? That enables you to face what the Bible calls the last enemy with confidence? That's what I felt like. I felt like, oh, I've read the best book here. This book is going to make me preach this good news with greater fervor than ever before. That's why I'm preaching it to you this morning. So Jesus Christ's sacrifice is so great because he, of all people, didn't have to die. We all have to die because we're sinners. He is perfect. Let me move on to my second point. Jesus' sacrifice is greater than any human sacrifice because he intentionally laid down his life for us. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life. Lay down one's life. Now, pastor, you may ask, didn't those men in the wars intentionally die for our country? Well, yes, but I'm sure they weren't going to the battlefield planning to die, were they? <laughs> they were hoping that they would come back home. They weren't intentionally going to die. That's what I'm trying to say. But Jesus Christ, he knew when he came into this world that he was going to fulfill one mission. He was going to go to one battlefront, and that was to die for you and for me. I find that amazing. Now then, he knew when he was uttering these words the night before that he was going to die. I wonder, at what point, when Jesus was growing up as a boy, did it dawn on him that this was why he'd been sent into this world, to die? Je Jesus Christ, even though he was the perfect son of God, he still had to grow up in Nazareth, and he had to grow up in understanding. And so, I'm sure when he was little, he didn't have that knowledge as a human being that he was going to die until a certain stage. I wonder how he would have felt when it finally dawned on him that this was his one mission in life. You know, this is what he lived for. Uh, even in his three-year ministry, we read in, I think it was in the Gospel of Mark, that he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. That's the one thing he is going to have to do. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Would you be able to live if you knew that the whole point of your life was to lay down your life for somebody? If you knew about that for decades, I don't think we could cope, could we? But Jesus knew. So Jesus Christ 
didn't have to die. He intentionally laid down his life. And then, this is the gist of the verse. This is what he says. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. For his friends. What kind of friends did Jesus die for? Look, look at the people who were listening to him here. One of them is Judas Iscariot, right? Judas Iscariot. We know the story, don't we? This so-called friend is about to betray him. Judas is the one who's going to sell his master uh, to the Romans. The other disciples, what have they been doing just before the Last Supper? Do you know what the other disciples were doing? They were quarreling among themselves who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We've been looking at that in Mark's gospel. Who would share the top table with Jesus Christ? What kind of friends are these? They're not interested in him. They're more interested in their own egos. And then what about the three closest friends? Peter, James, and John. After the Last Supper, Jesus is going to take these three closest of his companions to the Garden of Gethsemane to help him as he prays. And he says to them, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And when he goes away to pray, what are the other three doing? Oh, they have fallen fast asleep. Oh, my friends, what kind of friends are these? They're not here for him. And then when Judas returns with the Roman soldiers and they come to arrest Jesus, what do his disciples do? They run away from him. And even Simon Peter, the one that he has chosen as leader, the one who promised that he would never run away, what does he do? Well, he follows him from a distance. But we know the accounts, don't we? He, when Jesus is under trial, denies his Lord and Saviour three times. Isn't there a saying, with friends like these, who needs enemies? These were the kind of friends that Jesus Christ was going to lay down his life for. At least when we read about the sacrifices in wars, the young men that have gone to fight, they have cared enough for their country to have done such a noble deed. But Jesus Christ was ready to lay down his life for these nobodies, if I can put it like that, Oh, what love, what love. And um, there's a hymn, I was going to choose it this morning, but we sang it a few Sundays ago. I'm um, describing Jesus as a friend. And it's got these lines. These are very searching. Could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us though we treat him thus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I've, I've been reading this book on mind management. It's called The Chimp Paradox. It's a famous book. And it says here, uh, you need to make a table um, with three columns in it. Uh, it's to help with human relationships. And you've got a list a person's good points in the first column and then in the next column the not so good points those are the things you don't like about the person but you can live with you can live with and then in the third column things you do not like about the person 
things you do not like. And the writer says, if you've got anything in the third column, you've got to leave the person. Because, <laughs> isn't that terrible? Because if there are things you don't like and can't cope with, you're going to break off the relationship with that person. And you know what? As I was reading that, I thought, my, what about my relationship to Jesus Christ? And all the things in me. And he hasn't broken off the relationship. Indeed, he says, I prove my love to you because while you're still a sinner, I still love you. Isn't that amazing? That's why I read from Romans chapter 5. God makes conspicuous, makes obvious his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ died for us on that cross, when he sacrificed himself for us, we were still sinners, right? This is why it's an amazing love. This is love to the loveless. I came across this quotation in one commentary. There are no dirty secrets for Jesus to learn about us later that will cause him to turn his love from us. Christ's friendship is unchangeable, resting upon his knowledge of what we are by nature and of what he means his grace shall make us to be. Is there anybody here this morning who's thinking, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I'm not good enough to come to Jesus Christ. I'm not good enough to be accepted of him. Do you know what I want to say to you? Who is? <laughs> Who is? I'm not. The Christians here this morning, if they're true Christians, will say, we are definitely not either. The only one who's good enough is Jesus Christ. Praise be to his name. There's a famous account, isn't there, of um, the Renaissance uh, 14th century, have I got that right? 14th century Italy, Florence. Uh, the great sculptor Donatello uh, wanted to make a sculpture and a block of marble was carried to the cathedral in Florence for him. And he looked at this block of marble and he shook his head and said, I can't do anything with that. It looks too rough. And the block was put aside in the courtyard of the cathedral. Nobody was interested in it. And then another sculptor comes along. And yes, he sees the same thing as Donatello. He just sees a rough block of marble. But you know what? He sees more than that in it. He sees what that block of marble could become. And so he gets out his chisel and he starts sculpting. And after two years, the sculpture is unveiled. And you know who the sculptor is? Michelangelo. And you know what work he produced from that block of marble. One of the greatest statues ever made. David. Near perfection. One sculptor saw a block of marble and said, I can't do anything with it. Another sculptor saw the same thing, but he saw beyond that. And he saw the beautiful image of what that block of marble could become. 
And I want to say, greater than Michelangelo, looked on us, clods of earth, as one theologian put it, nobody's good for nothing. And he didn't just see that. In his love, eternal love, he saw what we could become. And when we are saved, you know what? We are not what we once were. Praise be to God, when we're saved, we're saved from sin. And we are saved to life in Jesus Christ. And you know what he is doing when you've become a Christian and ever since that conversion, he has been chipping away at you and he's going to change you and me and make us not into a David, but into a greater than David, into the image of his son. Amazing. We clods of earth are being transformed into images of Jesus Christ. Isn't that love? Love for his enemies. Love for his enemies. And then one last point, and this is the greatest uh, thing about this love. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Oh, Lord, you've laid down your life for somebody like me. I wasn't your friend. I was your enemy. But why did you lay down your life for me? This is my last point. This was a sacrifice for your sin and mine. Now, that's amazing. We sometimes hear, don't we, in war, of people making noble sacrifices. Is there anything noble about war? I don't, I don't think there's anything noble about war. Sometimes it's a necessity. But even then, it is horrible. It is absolutely reading about the front lines and the trenches. It is hell on earth. And you know what? There was nothing noble about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We, we've all grown up, haven't we? Especially those of us who attended Sunday school. Um, I didn't go to Sunday school in the evangelical church. So maybe this is why I've got these sanitized ideas about the death of Jesus Christ. It's like a fairy tale. It's disney But it wasn't like that. It was horrible. You know what caused him to be sent to death? It was a miscarriage of justice on a massive scale. The only perfect human being being condemned to the worst form of execution ever. It wasn't the Romans. It was the Phoenicians who devised crucifixion. It's the most painful method of killing a person ever invented by man. And this is the perfect man. And when we think of him hanging on that cross, you know, you've got all these beautiful images, haven't you, sometimes, in stained glasses in churches. It wasn't like that. We've got our hymn, and it's a good hymn, but it gives a false impression in the first verse. There is a green hill far away. It wasn't a green hill. It was the dumping ground of the city of Jerusalem. And it wasn't beautiful. It was of the shape of a skull, Golgotha. It was horrible. And he was hanging there. And in the images, you see that he wore a loincloth. He didn't wear anything. He was naked. It was shame. The physical pain would have been terrible. The thirst, the anguish, the crown of thorns, 
the piercing in his side, the nails into his hands and feet. But that was nothing compared to the spiritual anguish. Because he was going through your hell and mine. Maybe the trenches in the First World War was the closest to hell on earth. But even that is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ endured on the cross. Your sin and mine being laid on him. Isaiah put it in that 53rd chapter. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Um, somebody gave me this poem as I was walking in this morning, describing the second, not the first, but the Second World War, uh, the Normandy beaches. Have, have, you, have you been to the Normandy beaches or to the graveyards? They have school trips today, don't they, uh, to the graveyards in um, Belgium and Normandy. Uh, well, this is a Christian writing. I'll, I'll just read some excerpts. To 1944, the 6th of June, where peaceful sands are now with craters strewn, Across the beach they come at break of day, young men, still children some, yet none at play, from innocence wrenched to a deadly task, a hardship for which none would choose to ask. Amid the fierce noise of falling shells, they burdened come, emerging from the swells, the weight they carry, more than packs and guns, the future of our daughters and our sons, but for this freedom there will be a price that some will pay in personal sacrifice as troops advance against a solid wall while bullets fly in numbers, soldiers fall to wounds beyond the help of mortal powers, their future severed in securing hours. In securing hours. And a greater sacrifice than theirs was that of Jesus Christ going to the front line at Calvary, taking the bullets of God's righteous judgment for your sin and mine, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free, not just for a lifetime, but for all eternity. What love, what sacrifice. Uh, it was John McRae in the First World War. He was in the Battle of Ypres, I'm not pronouncing it right, probably, 1915, a Canadian doctor, and he was inspired by the sight of poppies, red poppies growing on the field of battle where young men had laid down their lives. And he was inspired to write another poem in Flanders' fields. Isn't it appropriate, the red of the poppy? Reminding us of the blood, the blood that was shed so that we could be free. What I'm trying to remind us of this morning is that blood that was shed on Mount Calvary so that you and I could be freed from sin, from death, from hell, and enjoy peace with God and Peace, even in this world, but more important than anything, peace in death and peace forever in heaven. Oh, what are you going to do on this Remembrance Sunday? 
Yes, we are remembering. We will not forget all those sacrifices in the past. But here is love. Do you know the words? Here is love that is greater, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. And today, who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He will never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Let me close by asking you, what are you going to do with this love today? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ, this friend, this friend who laid down his life for somebody like you, somebody like me? Are you going to trust in him? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to say, I am now going to become a Christian? I can't save myself. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ completely to do it. And then I'm going to seek to follow him the rest of my life. You know what? You're going to have a friend then. You may be uh, going home uh, this morning to an empty house. You're going to have a friend who will be with you all the time. You are going uh, to have to go through the difficulties of this life and becoming a Christian means there are extra difficulties. But you need not fear. You're going to have one with you who can empathize with you. And he's going to be there for the highs as well as the lows. And then one day, as all of us one day will have to face the river of death, we're going to have him with us. Death of death and hell's destruction land us safe on Canaan's side. Don't you feel proud to be a Christian in the right sense? Don't you feel, yes, he loved me and gave himself for me. And he's never going to give up on me. Oh, may every one of us know what it is to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. For his name's sake. Amen. <laughs>